All right. Well, we have been in a series over the last uh, four weeks. So this is the fourth week of a series called Who Cares? Who Cares? And, uh, oh, by the way, if you have kids, you can go ahead and join Krista here for Kids Church. So have a good time. I'm sure you'll enjoy that a lot more than (laughs) listening to me. All right. So we're in our fourth week of a series that we're calling Who Cares? And uh, a hinge pin for this series has been the Stephen ministry that we uh, were able to commission eight individuals who had spent 50 plus hours um, earlier this year going through training, exhaustive trainings, in order to be prepared to be Stephen ministers. What's a Stephen minister? Basically, it's somebody who is uh, trained and equipped uh, through a series, a whole series of, uh, of different scenarios and information to be able to walk with another person who is hurting, who is grieving, who is lonely, uh, who is struggling with addictions, who's struggling with, uh, with loss. Uh, there are so many of us who are in that situation. And so a Stephen minister is somebody who is uh, then set up one-on-one with a care receiver to walk with them through that season and that journey. And so uh, we've been kind of underlining our series with this new reality that we have these equipped and amazing eight individuals ready to, ready to care. And we talked about how, how pain exists in the form of things like disappointment and, and, and loneliness. Uh, and, and then today we're going to be talking about uh, the weight and, of burden, the, the burden that we experience because of the hurt that we've received. See, many in our families, many in our communities, many in our churches and in our mirrors have been hurt, damaged, and treated carelessly and recklessly by others. And this pain, this pain affects a whole myriad of aspects of our lives. It affects how you and I view relationships. It affects how you and I care or we don't care for others. It affects how you and I build destructive habits. And it affects how we create relationship myths. And it can affect then also how we process our emotions. See, the pain that you and I have experienced, it can create a chain that holds us down. You know what I'm talking about? That burden, that chain, that weight of pain that can hold us down. And each link of that chain that holds us down, that burdens us, represents a particular pain and hurt in our lives. Some of which we can actually point to and we can say, this is when that happened. Or this is when that person did this or said this. They represent the destructive, the the hurtful, and the relationally harmful acts and experiences and choices that you've had to endure. And so today what we're going to look at is, is Matthew 11. Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, First book in the New Testament, and we're going to look specifically at chapter 11 and and some familiar verses that I'm sure a lot of you have heard at least one time in your life. But what we're going to do is what this passage is telling us. Matthew 11, we're going to be looking specifically at verse 28 through 32. But before we do, I want to mention this, that the goal of our time here together today 
The goal of our time together today is to inspire you, inspire all of you to get serious about breaking free from that burden, that burden of your chains, and we're going and we're going to experience, my, my hope for you is that you're able to experience lasting help and healing that is only found through the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, many of us and many people, even those who proclaim to, to be Christians, have an incorrect view of Jesus. We have an incorrect view of Jesus. Yes, you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you may even believe that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead and he's living today. And you may have already made the When you do that, the Bible tells us that you are saved. You are now a child of the Almighty God. You are eternally secure. But even amidst these things, even amidst these realities that you may even attest to yourself, for those of you who haven't given your life to Jesus, or for those that haven't given their life to Jesus, many people view Jesus' reaction to us, and even those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, many view Jesus' reaction to you or to me or to any of us as a little boy reaching down to touch a little slug. Many of us, even if you're saved, even if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but then just people in general, when they think about God or they think about Jesus, they think about someone who's cautiously reaching down, ready to at any moment recoil at the ugliness or grossness about what they're about to touch. We, we wouldn't necessarily say that out loud. We wouldn't necessarily even communicate that to each other. But many of us internally believe that Jesus is reluctantly reaching down. And that in and of itself is an incorrect view of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Because instead... Jesus gives us a remarkably different picture of his heart and desire for you and for me. A completely different picture, and it's here in Matthew 11, starting with verse 28. So let's read these verses together. They're going to be on the screen behind me. You can certainly look in your Bibles. They're on the screen as you're watching virtually as well. Verse 28, come to me. This is Jesus talking to you and I. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Now, we can read that, and maybe you are even in this moment, you're reading that, and you're thinking, oh, warm and fuzzy. Oh, I love those verses. They make me feel so comforted. And they should, but why? What's the truth behind those verses? What is Jesus actually saying? That's what we need to look at. Now, first off, I want you to pay attention to how Jesus describes his heart. What are the two characteristics of Jesus' heart that he describes? What was that? Gentle 
and humble. Jesus describes his heart. Two characteristics. He's gentle and he's humble. There are four gospels, four gospel accounts in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were in the first one there. And then between all four of those gospels, there are 89 total chapters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 89 chapters. There are 3,779 verses between those four gospels. And then there are 64,766 words. Why do I mention this? Because this is the only time in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 32, this is the only time where Jesus actually describes his own heart. And when he does, he uses two descriptions, gentle and humble. We've got to pay attention to that. It's here in Matthew 11. So when we speak of Jesus' heart, we're not talking about his emotional life. We, we kind of get those confused. You know, when we talk about someone else's heart, you know, we, we might be referring to the emotionality of an individual, but that's, that's not just what we're saying here. We're talking about the core of who Jesus is. We're talking about why he does what he does. See, according to the Bible, this word that's used, heart, it refers to the core of who a person is, the engine of a person. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do. Everything you do flows from that. So it is the main source, right? It is the thing that then propels all other things. So when Jesus says, this is my heart, he's saying, this is who I am. So if we're to look at each other's heart, we'd be able to determine, you and I, we would be able to determine what, is, what it is simply by, cause, what, by what causes us to get out of bed in the morning. So what we say is one thing, but what we actually do is another thing. And you probably come across people like that, where they say, oh man, this is my heart. And when they're saying that, they're saying, this is the core of who I am. It's why I get out of bed in the morning. But then you are like, no, I don't think that's right. Well, you know what? Some people are saying that about you too. <laughs> What we say is our heart isn't always what is our heart. What is it that causes you to get out of bed in the morning? So to speak of Jesus' heart here, we are looking at that thing that makes Jesus get out of bed in the morning. We're looking at that thing that he lives for. Not only that he lives for, but what he died for. And what does Jesus live for? What is, what is it that propels him? What is it that everything comes out of? Gentle and humble in heart. So what does this mean? What are the implications here? What implication is there that Jesus, at his core, is gentle and humble in heart? You see, when Jesus refers to himself as, as gentle, 
This word that he's using, he's saying that his natural disposition is someone with open arms and not a pointing finger. And when Jesus refers to himself as humble in heart, he's saying that he isn't unreachable, but he's incredibly accessible. So if Jesus is this way at his core, if this is who he is, then what does he expect from us? His only demand for you and I in these verses is to what? What is he demanding us to do? What is he asking us to do? Come to me. Come to me. But notice this, the prerequisite to come to me is important. Jesus says, come to me. The prerequisite is essential because not anyone indiscriminately, not just anybody can experience the gentle and humble heart of Jesus. Let me make that clear. Not just anybody can experience Jesus' gentle and humble heart. No, this is only for those who make the intentional and willful decision to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus. To cry out for help. To willingly take on Jesus' leadership. That's it. I mean, surely it can't be that simple, right? I mean, it can't be that simple. I mean, there's got to be a there's got to be a catch. So who is it that that qualifies? Who is it that qualifies to receive the gentle and humble heart of Jesus? Well, Jesus makes that clear in the very next words. He says this. He says, all who are weary and burdened. He says, come to me. Come to me. That's his expectation. What's the qualification to come to Jesus? Be weary and burdened. The truth here is so profound because in that your weariness and your burden, the very things that often keep us convinced that Jesus wants nothing to do with us are actually the very things that qualify you to come to Jesus. And this means that, what, that the rest that Jesus offers is a gift. It's not a transaction. It is not something you receive because you've brought something worthy to the table. You see, Jesus' rest is given simply by being weary and burdened and by coming to Jesus. That's it. And when you and I in our weariness and in our burden, when we come to Jesus, He places on you not just any yoke. Do you all know what a, a yoke is? It's that, that, that contraption often, it, it was built out of wood that would keep two oxen together so that they can be led and, and guided through the fields. Jesus, he says, don't take up any yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you and then learn from me. You'll be guided by me. So the yoke then that is placed on us 
is Jesus' yoke. It has His very fingerprint on it. And it is, it is capable of eradicating your weariness and your burden, burden-laden life. And I love this because He describes what this yoke is. He describes what this thing is that Jesus wants to put on you. Because He says, my yoke is easy. Now, one of the things that gets, that gets mistaken when we look at this part of the verse is we can, we can immediately get pulled out of what Jesus is saying because we're like, no, that's not true because life is far from easy. My life is filled with pain. I have a loved one who is dying before me and I can't do a thing about it. Or I am constantly struggling with finances and worried about whether or not I'm going to have a roof over my head next month. We see that and it can pull us right out because we're like, no, Jesus, you're lying. Because I tried that. And life wasn't easy. But that's, that's actually not what's being said here. This is a good example of a time when the English language fails to convey what is actually said. What language was the New Testament written in? Greek. It was an ancient form of Greek. doesn't exist anymore. It's called Koine Greek. And this word that it was used for easy has been translated in our English language as such, as easy. And then when we read it, we immediately assume definitions of it because of our constructs, because of our culture, because of our definitions. But the Greek word that's used here is the Greek word krestos. This is actually the same word that Paul uses in a verse that we saw last week in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. In that verse, it says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Did you see the word, do you see the word easy in that verse? So the same word that's used there is the word kind. So what is Jesus telling us about His yoke? Not that if you take on His yoke that life will be easy. No, it's saying that His yoke is kind. He's saying that His yoke benefits us. That it helps us, that it supports us, that it leads us, it encourages us, that it looks out for us. You see, the quote, ease, unquote, of Jesus' yoke means that a relationship with him leads us to be the people that God designed us to be. And so to embrace the gentle and humble heart of Jesus is to adopt a life that doesn't weigh us down, but instead lifts us up. There's a song. I love 80s songs. I love 80s music. And there's a song that it's maybe my, one of my top ten or whatever. It's, it's called Love Lift Us Up. 
And the lyrics of the chorus go like this. I won't sing it for you, don't worry. Love, lift us up where we belong, where the eagles cry on a mountain high. I can't help it. Love, lift us up where we belong. (laughs) Far from the world below, up where the clear winds blow. Yeah, but I got news. I got news for you, okay? God beat the writers of this song to the punch because in the book of Isaiah, he writes almost these exact words. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. See, that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 11. He's saying, my yoke is kind, it benefits you, it supports you, it lifts you up. But he also states this. He says, my burden is light. My burden is light. I'm going to segue here for a moment because uh, we're going to be doing a couple of baptisms here this morning, and I absolutely love baptism. Now, baptism, for, you, for those of you who, uh, who may not know, this is an, a, an important part of the Christian life because baptism is an outward symbol of what Jesus has already done inside. I want to warn you, it's cold, all right? But we're going to be just fine. Yeah. But this is the deal. Baptism being an outward symbol of what Jesus has done inwardly is critical. Because inwardly, when we've given our life to Jesus Christ, when we've decided that yes, He's the Son of God, that yes, He died on the cross for my sins and then rose from the dead and is living today. And, And when we recognize that Jesus needs to be the leader of our life and we need to follow him. The Bible tells us that we're saved. And so then we, we're commanded to get baptized in that we, we go before a multitude of people. In this case, all of you and those who are watching via uh, online and, and, and we testify that yes, Jesus saved me. That once I was lost, but now I am found. This is a profound moment. And the beauty of this, have you ever, have you ever been in uh, a lake and there's been waves and you've had a life jacket on? Have been on the ocean. Yep. And you got the waves coming in, you're kind of bobbing up and down, right? So I want you to imagine, you and I, not all of you, right, just... Imagine individually. You and I, we're in a boat together. And we're in the middle of the ocean. And all of a sudden, the waves pick up. Storm is brewing. And we get nervous. And you fall out of the boat. I didn't push you in. You just fell out. And because of the waves and the boat, you're now 10, 15, 20 feet away from me. And I can't reach out to you to bring you back in. 
and the waves are coming down, and, the, and when the waves are rolling, when they're, when they're breaking, uh, it's pushing you down more and more, and you, you, you get pushed under the water, and then, you, and then you come up, and you grasp for air, and then you get pushed down again, you come back up, and your body can only do that for so much before you start losing the strength to be able to keep your head above the waves. But then I look in the boat, and I see there's a life jacket, and you're within throwing distance, and I call your name, and I throw that life jacket out, and you grab a hold of it, you put it around your head, you strap it around your chest. You're still in the midst of the waves. The waves are still crashing. You're still bobbing up and down, but your head is then always above the water. You don't need to exert any strength to be that way because the life jacket has created a buoyancy that keeps you lifted up. That is what Jesus is saying here. Because to say my burden is light, that's ridiculous. That's an opposite. How can a burden be light? Because burden by its very definition is heavy. Jesus is saying that when you put on my yoke, when you put on me, I lift you up. My buoyancy keeps your head above the water. Life isn't going to be easy, but I will keep you lifted up. And you don't have to do a thing. You just rest in my buoyancy. That's what we celebrate. And in this case here, I have this amazing young man, Elijah. A lot of you know, the, know him. And Elijah and I have, have chatted, and we talked actually a lot about a lot of things that I never knew about that you decided I needed to know about. <laughs> but we also talked about his relationship with Jesus Christ. I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior when I was eight years old. That was on September 15th, 1985. That was a long time ago. But I knew exactly who Jesus was and is, what he did for me, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and that's the case for Elijah as well. And so, Elijah, I have three questions for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, and is living today? Yes. And have you decided to follow him and make him the leader of your life? Yes. Elijah, based on your confession of faith, it is now my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. got another baptism here. Dan, I'd like to invite you into this really warm water with me. Everybody, this is Dan, and uh, I want to share a little bit about Dan to you all. Um, uh, 
This is an amazing story. God has been working in Dan's life for quite some time. And it was about, what, two months ago that you made the decision to find and to follow Jesus. But leading up to that, about seven months ago, I taught a class. Some of you were in this class and it was about apologetics. It's like how to defend the Christian faith. But it was specifically called dialogical apologetics in that uh, the, the purpose of speaking to others about Jesus isn't to beat them over the head, but is to relationally walk them through that discovery of finding Jesus. And I gave my students an assignment. I said, I, I want you over the next two weeks, I want you to, to interview someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. But when you interview them, I just want you to ask them questions about their life. Ask them questions about what they believe. Don't tell them anything. Don't convince them of anything. Don't argue anything. Just ask questions. He had to do that for 60 minutes. And he couldn't take notes. Just listen. Well, Steve back there, you can't miss him. He's super tall. There he is right there. Sorry, I didn't let you know I was calling you out. He was in my class. And Steve was petrified about this uh, assignment. But he came back two weeks later and he said, yeah, I did it. But he was super discouraged because he had about a 20-minute conversation with, with a gentleman. And uh, he asked questions and Steve got off the phone and Steve felt like he had failed. About a month ago, Steve takes me aside and he says, hey, um, so that guy that I had that conversation with, uh, he just accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And that's this guy right here. But here's the deal. I had, I had about an hour and a half conversation with Dan on Thursday. And Dan's view of Jesus right now, his understanding of the drastic and profound life change that happens in an individual once they accept the grace and hope that only Christ can provide, that only God can provide through His Son, Jesus Christ. Dan's awareness of that is profound. And it's something that I think many of us lose sight of as we venture further into our relationship with Christ. And as I listened to Dan, I just, I just wanted to be with him. I wanted to stand with him. I wanted to listen to him because his life has been profoundly and drastically changed. And it will forever be. And so, Dan, I have three questions for you, brother. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes, I do. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? rose from the dead and is living today yes i do and have you decided to find him to follow him and to make him the leader of your life absolutely yes dan based on your confession of faith as a brother in christ it is now my privilege to baptize you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit